friends, welcome. This is it. We have over a decade of episodes unpacking stories and life to help you discover your purpose, your divine design, and what you are wired to do. This is Patty Lynn Wyatt. Please subscribe on YouTube or subscribe to Girlfriend It so we can be in it together. All right, welcome. It's such an honor to have founder of Arise, a monthly women's event for women of all ages, churches, and backgrounds to come together and grow in their faith. She is also a phenomenal speaker traveling around the United States. And I'm not finished yet, a women's director at Renovation Church and a radio show and podcast host for the Vibrant Life Show. So, so excited to have you on the Girlfriend It Show. We have Allie Gentry. How are you? Hi, Patty. I'm doing so well. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm honest. I'm so honored. This is exciting. Well, we are so honored. And first of all, I just want to jump in with what is like one fun thing of, about you that that we can just learn a little bit more about who's Allie? But I, I have to pause there because I'm I'm totally throwing you. Uh, this is one of those things, you know, when you sit around a boardroom or something and, and they go, all right, I want everybody to go around the room and say your like most embarrassing moment. <laughs> and you're like, I have plenty, I have thousands, but all of a sudden my mind goes completely blank and you can't think of one embarrassing thing. So I'm doing that to you right now with going, all right, what's one fun thing that maybe we don't know about you? Um, one fun thing is I've been to 36 countries. And I love to travel, so I don't, I do go to travel a lot, but I don't think people know exactly how many. And also, I'll say another fun fact, I'm obsessed with football. So I feel like that's something people, I don't just say in a normal conversation all the time, but I feel like it's like imperative to my being. So I love my football and bacon. So those are your three. Oh, I, there we go. So I that could almost... That could be two truths and a lie, and we had to figure out which one was the lie, but but uh, they're all three true. I jumped, I jumped the gun on that one, I guess. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's a little bit about me on, on the extra outside of what I do. So so when did you start loving football? Um, at about the age of seven or eight. Um, it's actually a crazy story, but I had I lived in Texas actually, so I I was afraid of tornadoes and mm -hmm. um, I had always had severe anxiety and the Super Bowl happened to be on on a night that was extremely stormy. It was the Patriots and the Packers and uh, my dad was a youth pastor. We were at the church. It had a tin roof and I was so scared out of my mind. So I pulled out a kitchen cart, sat at the bottom of it, put my fingers in my ears and watched my first full football game ever to like not have anxiety about yeah. thinking there could be a tornado. And then I fell in love. I fell in love with Brett Favre, the Packers, and then I learned all about football and I've never turned back since. So <laughs> it's a random story, but I, it's very different, but I do, I do hold tightly to it for that nostalgia. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. That is a good story. And I, I want to hear more about your, your traveling because that, that is one of my passions. I didn't start traveling until I was, I was a senior in high school and I was invited to a leadership conference in Colorado. 
I went on my first flight and after that I was I was sold out. So I went into the airline industry just to go travel. So we would go to Budapest for the weekend or oh, you know, just goodness. hey, let's go to London. All right. And love it, love it, love it. It's changed I, a little bit after the pandemic, but I really, really enjoy traveling. Mm-hmm. And I well, so today's show, we wanted to talk about like how are we passing on our faith baton to the next generation? And knowing your dad was a pastor, I kind I would like to unpack a little bit of your story because obviously that faith baton, you grabbed it and you ran with it. And you are such a Jesus lover and you love making a big deal about him. So tell us your story of how you grabbed that baton. Well, I will say it wasn't a smooth passing of the baton on my end of the deal. <laughs> um, I have three other siblings. I have three siblings. There's four of us in our family. And I actually, we all grew up in the church. And um, my sisters tended to have a very, I think their personality. Now I'm learning so much about personality types and ways that, you know, everybody has their own uh, way of looking at the world, our different lens. And they had a very much, very black and white. These are the rules. And they don't like to do that. I'm such a question asker that by the time I got older in my faith, I was like, wait, wait, wait. Like I was like, I'm like, I believe this is real, but I also like want to go the ways of the world too, because I, I've just been told no. And I haven't asked why or explored that or, and there were a lot of um, other things. I think some church hurt along the way, as people say, but it's a lot. I think everybody's experienced, if they've been in the church long enough, they'll experience that to some extent. Um, But I was too young to understand truly. I I mean, I was, after I graduated high school, went into college, um, I was, I, I was very straight on until I, about 20 to 21 um, I was actually abused in in college, and I tried to like do all the right things to make myself feel worthy again because I didn't tell people about it. I had told one person, and they didn't believe me because of who it was. So I just decided I'm not going to say anything. And out of that, out of keeping that in the dark and that shame, I I really started to feel kind of numb and empty. Even though I was trying to read my Bible, I was going to church, and I was like nothing because you. The enemy loves to keep things in the dark. Okay. When we speak yeah. things up to people, like that's where you find healing. I didn't know that and I didn't understand that. And um, I started going out and drinking and partying and doing all of that stuff for a couple of years. And I found myself just absolutely broken um, in so much shame and pain and desperation, honestly, for mm-hmm. something else. And I finally turned to the Lord, but it was because I was actually. Um, uh, about to take my own life one evening in my closet closet uh, at my condo. And I just broke down and I was like, please just take me, Lord. Like, I know that you're real. So just take me to heaven. Like, I would prefer just to do that because this world is a disaster and I don't want to be here. And I feel like that's the moment I met Jesus in the most real way I had ever experienced in my life to where I was older and I could really be like, no, this isn't just because someone else told me, like Jesus met me and I peace flooded that room and I got up and he said, it's time to make a choice. Follow after me wholeheartedly. You know, I love you or leave the way like, or go the other way. Just, you know, leave my name out of it. And I know people 
I call them Holy Spirit truth bombs because it's like that sounded harsh, but he's telling truth in love. Like mm-hmm. the lukewarm was actually what was hurting me and making everything very exhausting, trying to live yeah. in both worlds. And um, anyways, I, I said yes to him, got up off that closet floor, opened my Bible, fell in love, started asking questions in the scriptures, going to people and getting rid of the friends I had in my life. And it really, then I, the only people I really had in my life were my parents, um, to really coach me through that next season um, because I didn't have small group leaders or anything. Cause I was like, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was actually my parents who helped me in that next season and where I was growing in the Lord and growing in my faith. And my dad actually started a new church. He planted a church that following year and asked if I just wanted to come work. I had just graduated college and I was like, sure, I'll just come work in the office, you know, until I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, I always say God tricked me into ministry because I never saw this coming. But as I was at the church, I grew to love the church again. My healing happened. Um, I grew in my faith. My dad taught me so much about leadership and about faith. And and then it just grew into that, into outreach ministry, and then into women's ministry, and then into church um, leadership in a lot of levels. So it was a, it was not a smooth passing of the baton. But once I grabbed hold of it, I feel like I've been running in my lane since then. So it's been a constant thing, though, with my dad. I would say, like, when people ask me, who's your mentor, who's your person, I would, uh, my mom, we call her St. Jan because she's just a doll. (laughs) Uh, She does everything for everyone, and she's incredible. But I would say, because I work hand-in-hand with my father in the way of growing in my faith, um, you know, very day-to-day he has been the one that's really helped me even step into my calling as well, which is what, why we need mentors too. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not a detailed person at all in one of the things that I procrastinate is doing invoices. I just want to make everybody else do my dirty work, but I'm into the details of your story. So there are so many things that I'm like, wait, write that down, write that down, write that down. And I have to go back with the abused part I work with so many young adults, uh, mainly girls, and well, they're not girls anymore, right? They're women that have had this story over and over again. I'm hearing this, and you you alluded to it was somebody that you knew, mm-hmm. and when you say abused, were you what what was the abuse there? Um, I I was raped at 20. Mm-hmm. And at college. So it was it was someone who was like one of my close people and um, that I never would have guessed either. But you add in alcohol, you add in mm-hmm. actually drugs as well. And I was trying to take care of them. I wasn't involved in that at all at that point. Like I didn't start wow. drinking. 21. So I, so I will say I do, I do abide by some rules. I was like, I can't drink till I'm 21, but other stuff I was like, whatever. It's so strange how our minds work. Like there's obviously some level of stopping us, but yeah. So I was trying to take care of that person and it, it, it compounded into a situation that I didn't know how to get out of because I loved that, love that person as a human, as a friend. And then all of a sudden it was to the point where I couldn't get out of it anymore. And I had told someone who also knew him well, and they just could, they would not believe that he, Yeah. and I, and I was shocked because I wouldn't believe it either, you know, but it did happen. And so it was, it was a struggle. I'd actually didn't tell people, I didn't tell my family till I was 25. 
And so so you're you're deep in this dark secret. And so what the reason why I would like to unpack it, because for women that are are listening here, we have a tendency to hold on to it, like you said, because we think we had a part in it. Mm-hmm. And then it makes us feel dirty and gross. And for whatever reason, why we don't want to bring it to light for that other person, we think we're going to shame them as well. And we hold on to that. So will you kind of share a little bit about why you held on to this? Mm-hmm. There were a couple of things. And, you know, I, I want to start with the fact, too, that I have run into that person um, about seven years after the fact. And he apologized to me and acknowledged everything. And I didn't even bring it up. Like he he's like because he said he didn't remember what I brought up to him that time. And he's like, I literally and I actually believe that he was totally blacked out of it. Um, for the most part. And so I think that's probably a piece of it that I was justifying some things. And I'm like, he, he never did that before. And, you know, or so showed signs of that. And, um, so I will say that there's forgiveness that has been had and that's not everyone's story for them to come to you and acknowledge that you weren't lying was healing, um, to me as well. But I think one, you think that you played a part in it because you, you let it get to a certain point. And then you're like, then it's my fault forever letting it get to that point because then the whole thing happens. So you just open the door for all of that to happen. So you take blame for it. And I always say that um, fear and shame leads us to hide and blame. Mm -hmm. And that I find in Genesis, as we see this brokenness of the, of the garden, when they started to be afraid and they were full of shame because they were naked and unashamed. And then when sin entered the world, they were ashamed and they hid from each other and they hid from God. So it leads, and then they blamed each other. God's like, who told you? He's like, she, she did. And then she's like, who told you? And, And she's like the serpent, like it's out of our fear and fear and shame. We, we hide and we blame other people. And so, but at that time, sometimes we blame ourselves in our shame. Yeah. And, um, and when we can't step out of it, so I was blaming myself and I also felt like I was strong enough. I know this sounds strange for people who haven't gone through it, but you feel like I'm strong enough to deal with the repercussions and the baggage of it. And I just want to protect them because we feel like maybe this was just a one moment and it just was a bad day because I will say the circumstances that led him to be drinking at the party and all that stuff was really a lot going on mm-hmm. and I had never seen him go through that. So I was like justifying. And then I'm like, I blame myself for getting in that situation. And then, well, I want to protect him because he has a huge future in sports and like, I don't want it to be taken away from him from one stupid mistake. And so you just start to justify, yeah. but then you feel like you can't speak to anyone to try and get to a I also would say that everybody's results of that could look different how they handle it. So I don't think this should be a cookie cutter of like everyone. Um, But I just think that I was blaming myself and I was trying to protect them because I felt like I was strong enough to deal with it. And I didn't want to ruin their future. What I felt like was a one-off and I, I still believe to this day, but um, who knows? And I'm afraid I, you know, you might not have protected other people. So it's a it's a really hard, yeah. heavy thing to work through, especially at an age like 20. I mean, we still feel like that's old enough, but it's still like at yeah. any age, really. And then if you can't process it with people, it just 
the weight of it and the shame of it. And then you don't feel worthy to be loved. You don't feel worthy. And it's really hard to receive God's love when you're trying to actually hide from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how you said you, you finally brought it up at 25 when you were sharing it with your people. Um, So how are you now, 13 years later with, with this, do you feel like the forgiveness it, it, you still have to go back to it and give it over to God? Or did you feel like you were truly cleansed and had that freedom of that situation? That's a great question, Patty. I would say that, so I started gradually. So when I gave my life fully over to the Lord after my mess of about two years of my life, um, I actually started telling people because mm-hmm. I was like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get to this spot? So I started to work back and there were other things that I made decisions on that were not good before, not great before that. But I was like, that triggered like, and so I, I started to talk to my best friends about it. And I was like, I'm just going to say this, you know, and then I realized that they were receptive to it. And then I started to tell other people because I started to work with women more often. And I hear this and I'm like, well, if they're sharing it, I need to be like sharing pieces of it. Yeah. Maybe everything. So, and you know, sometimes you don't want to just go in at the time. I didn't feel like, Oh, just going in and talking about it just felt like, okay. You know, sometimes it's too heavy for people. You don't want to be too heavy, but I've just found so many people are going through this, like whether it's dealing with being, um, abused or sexually abused or even dealing with suicide. I'm like, that's a part of my story. And it just is what that is, you know, and I've put it in front of the Lord. And so, now I started to find healing and telling people. So then I finally had to tell my family because I was starting to do speaking engagements and meeting with people and I, or even mentoring some younger girls. And I'm like, if I'm sharing this story with other people, I need to share it with my family. Yeah. So that's actually what took till about 25 to share it with them and just watching them be broken about it was so, it was so sad because I realized I could have said something. Um, so I would say to people who have experienced it and not telling people, I'm like, I think you do probably, you have people who would be there for you. Yeah. Just you got to speak things into light. Then it doesn't have that hold over you as it did, but you still have to work through it. So then again, I told you seven years after 27, 28, I ran into him and he told me that. And I was like, like, you know, just crying, not in front of him. I just was very like, yeah. wow. Like, I can't tell you how much this means to me for you to acknowledge because I felt crazy. And afterwards, I just was crying after I was away from him. And I felt like I really forgave him. I felt like the meeting was the Lord brought that together. And so I thought that I had worked all through that. I was like, God will use this. God's got this. He uses all things for our, um, our good and his glory, which he promises. It's just in the, that's that's not a lie. That's true. That's yeah. in Romans 8, 28. And I'm like, no, if we give over these situations, a lot of times we like hold on to them and like, God, why aren't you doing anything good out of this? And it's like, release them to me. Watch, watch me do something good out of something so horrible. Like he can, he can flip anything because he's a good God. So I was doing okay. And then, um, talking about it, sharing about it. And actually, Patty, this last year, I had a breakdown, a breakdown. Um, And so I actually ended up going back to counseling over it because I thought, oh, we're good. I figured it out. I did my own work through it. I've shared it. I actually, when I share it now, it doesn't feel like I've just been emotionally like 
you know, how you can share really deep, vulnerable things, whether it's this or something else. And you're like, whoa, I feel very exposed. Yeah. I feel like I've worked through it enough to where I didn't feel like that. But then in this last year, I had a lot of other painful situations happen and I had medical things come up and I had a surgery and all these other things. And I was like, looking back at my life and then I'm like, I turned 32. I'm like, this is not what I thought 32 would look like when I was younger, 32 single, you know, no kids in sight, you know, and the, I really trust trusted God, I'm fine with being single. So it was weird having all of these, like, you know, and the Lord's doing such awesome things and I'm getting to do so many wonderful things with fantastic people around the city. And, and so it was weird for me to start having these thoughts. So I went back and I actually did a message on the, the, the bleeding, the woman um, of blood who is bleeding for 12, 12 years. And as I was doing it um, and how her faith healed her, I was realizing that my faith, I was questioning a lot of things like, how could you have allowed this to happen to me? Questions I had never really asked before, but I started to see this like trickle effect of 12 years later of maybe this is why I'm not married and I can't let people in and it's all because of this one night and you didn't protect me and you said you were my protector and like, why weren't you there? And that was the first time I started asking those questions this last year. So I had to work through what I think is a deeper level of faith on this one. Like I was, God kept me through in those years. And then sometimes he brings it up because he's like, now let's go deeper. Let's go to a deeper route so that you can trust me even deeper. So your faith can be stronger in me. So you can reach out and say, just to touch the the hem of my cloak so that you're healed from this fully because you've been still bleeding for 12 years type of thought. Like, and I, I really got to the point where like, I believe that he protected me more than I knew. I, I don't even, won't even ever know what he's protected me from. Right. So just because we've experienced brokenness from broken people in a world doesn't mean that God himself is no longer protector. And so I will say like, I, I had to work through forgiveness of the person once again. Yeah. Because it was the effect that it was still having 12 years ago. I was mad that it was still bothering me 12 years ago or 12 years later. Yeah. And so I had to forgive him for that. And I did go to counseling and worked through that, which I'm a huge proponent of that um, and processing. And then, yeah, just like going to a deeper level of faith and saying, God, I trust you, even though it doesn't make sense. And it was so hurtful in my life, but also because not because of it, but he's worked good things out of it. Like now I'm 32 and doing all these things and able to not that he made it happen so I could connect people. But I always believe when you tell your story and you can connect with people in the broken places, you literally hit the enemy in the face once again with being like, you thought what you meant for evil, God's going to use for good once again. And I'm like, see, like pushing back the darkness every time you speak about it. And it's just, that's the power of our testimony, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So um, yeah, that was long, but <laughs> no, it wasn't. And you have no idea, Allie, sharing that story and unpacking that and especially the forgiveness portion of it. I know I, I dealt with, um, my, my mom was, was murdered in a, in a weird random shooting thing and being able to do it daily. Like people think, Oh, how did you forgive that man? And it's like, well, I, it wasn't me for sure. You know, we know. And and I love what you said. We serve a good God. And that's what it comes back to. And yeah, there are things that hit you and emotions that will overcome you. 
and you then surrender it over. And it sounds so weird when you say that to people that I just have to surrender that over to God. It's like, well, what does that look like? And it's what you said. I mean, some days you're just going, God sustain me to get through this day because I don't understand. And it seems weird when we say things like, yeah, he allowed it to happen because then you, you get into that trust factor. What else is he going to allow to happen? So how do I trust him? Cause there's a fear there of, you know, is he going to take my kids? Is he going to, that's like, no, you have to just go, okay, God, this is what, you know, trust looks like. And there, there were some other things that you said there that I, I would like to, to go back to, but I, I know because of time, uh, what would you say if you were sitting in front of a group of women that had your same story and they're, they're in the minute of it and we have just three minutes, like what, what tip would you give them? And I, I know that's hard, right? You have three minutes, Ali, save the world, give them Jesus <laughs> and have that faith baton in their hands in yeah. two minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, go. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say one, like I had already mentioned, just to share your story to whomever you can listen to that it's safe, that you feel mm-hmm. safe to speak with it. Don't, I, I don't share this story just to everyone all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that just prayerful of where you need to share, story, how much of the story you need to share in different certain situations and settings. Um, but as we do it, we heal again. So speak it out, speak it out to someone. If you don't trust anyone, I, I, like I said, counseling, speak it out to someone, but I I have this whole message on the gap between our expectation and reality where we expect God to be a certain way, but the reality we're experiencing isn't what we thought God would do or how he should do it. And it's really important for us to get into the word. And what I would suggest people to do is as you're especially reading the Psalms, start writing all of the words of who God is that you're finding in there, his character traits, because he is the God of hope. And the God of hope will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him so that we overflow. And when that trust is thrown off, we have to go back to who the God of hope actually is. And it's like reading like God is God of refuge, a protector. He's our rock, our deliverer. And and start telling, he's my confidence. He's he's our praise. He's our um, strength and everything. And so if we go back to who he is as a foundation, and yet this this world isn't who he is (laughs) like he is above this world, but he's not the brokenness of this world. So if we go back to a foundation of, of who he really is in scripture, you've got to be in the word because the word is healing. Like we're healed by hearing it. And so go back to the word, spend time in the word, who God is and write it down on something, put it up in front of you, find a verse to repeat and get that. So in your head that whenever those thoughts come up, just be like, you know, Isaiah 43, 18, like God's doing a new thing. Like I don't have to dwell in the past anymore because he's got it. He goes not only before me, but he goes behind me and he's making a way and a new way in a desert and a wasteland. And so just trusting when it doesn't match up that God is who he says he is, even if we don't feel it. And it's hard to do, but it's, it's critical to have that foundation so that we can, um, go forward and, and trust that in it. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Allie, so much. It's, it truly has been an honor. And find Allie on AllieGentry.com and go out there and believe God who he says he is.
where we get our best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.